to I Hope I Can Make It Through, Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your neophyte, Frank. And today we're taking a look at Degrassi Next Generation Season 5, Episode 6, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It's real hard not to sing that title. I know, it took everything inside <laughs> me. I like had to stare at the page and just go, okay, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Um, before we get too far into this episode, some quick content warnings. We are going to be talking about pregnancy, specifically Liberty's pregnancy. We're also going to be talking about um ptsd and panic attacks we're also going to be talking probably a little bit about the school shooting which is the source for this ptsd um we're going to be probably talking about a very cruel joke about eating disorders um and because this is a jimmy centric episode also heads up we'll probably be talking about ableism in some way shape or form throughout the episode now that I've revealed what one of the characters is going to be, who is going to be featured in this episode, Frank, would you like to introduce our A plot and our B plot? Um, okay. The A plot is, um, uh, Jimmy is practicing for, um, uh, wheelchair basketball, but he's trying to decide if that's what he wants to do, if he wants to do something else. Meanwhile, Danny finds out that Liberty is pregnant and is being a real dink about it. <laughs> a dink. That's a good way of putting it. Um, so, honestly, I, before we get too far into this, because we didn't ask A-plot or B-plot first before we recorded, dang, these episodes are really fucking, like, put together now. Yeah. The pacing of them is just like, boom, 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 boom. It's like 22 pretty, like, to-the-point minutes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have a preference or which which you would like to do first. I mean, honestly, like they both feel like a plot, so right. I, I just say we'll just go with either one. Um, we could also just go through the whole episode. Just yeah, let's just do that. Okay, so the episode opens up, and the technical a plot of this episode is the Jimmy plot. We start off outside of the school, and Jimmy's dad and a coach. Um, or a scout of some sort, are watching Jimmy play basketball. Um, and the scout is saying that Jimmy has a lot of potential, but he's still pretty awkward in his chair. However, he's very competitive. So it makes him kind of qualified to at least be tentatively trying out for the team. Now, we don't quite have information of who the team is until Jimmy asks if he has what it takes to go to China um, in, tw- in 2008. Which we're then slowly piecing together that he is interested in potentially participating in some form of the Paralympics. Yeah. Um, and his dad kind of stammers through this kind of conversation because he was just talking to the scout. He's like, oh, oh, go, go work on your, your chair handling. Go, do that. And Jimmy's just kind of like, what the fuck? Okay, sure, fine. And just is kind of staring at his dad as the opening credits kick in. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I was like, I like this. So, these episodes, these two plots are so straightforward, it's hard to have like any, uh, not like anything to say about them, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty breezy. Um, so we go to the next scene where we're in the halls of Degrassi, and Jimmy says, like, Oh, yeah, I'm gonna go quit the band, and obviously, Craig is very pissed off, Marco is also pretty hurt. And Jimmy proclaims that Jimmy the Athlete is back. Um, Craig is not at all enthused. He's also wearing a red velvet revolver shirt, which made me feel significantly aged while looking at it. 
was wasn't Slash in Velvet Revolver? I think you might be right. I mean, right, I'm, I'm on it. Yeah, let's just let's just go through through the memories. I remember just like seeing them a bit. I think I owned that album. I'm pretty certain I did. If not, I definitely burned it from the library, which is probably what the actual answer is. Okay, now I remember what it was. This was just like. This is what happened when everybody, like, when Guns N' Roses was like, hey, you know who's not fun to, to be around? Axl Rose. You know what we should do? Form a different band. So who who is in the lineup of Velvet Revolver? Slash. Okay. Duff McKagan. Matt okay. Sorum. Dave Kushner. And uh, lead singer Scott Weiland. I'm going to be real with you, I only know Slash and Scott Weiland. Duff McKagan is also from Guns N' Roses. Wow, okay. Yeah, so it really is like, fuck off, Axel. We're just gonna make our own tunes. Bye. And so was Matt Sorum. Stop! It really was that? That's really funny. I mean, would you want to hang out with fucking, like, Axel Rose? Axl Rose? No, but I feel like there's something particularly hysterical about... About being like, you are so insufferable, literally the entirety of the band is going to stay together, except for you. Oh my god, it reminds me of, like, fucking on, um, Instagram, like, basically, like, people were just, like, when the Suicide Squad movie came out, Mm -hmm. everyone's standing awkwardly around Giolito, not smiling, and then on Instagram, you just see all these pictures of, like, Will Smith and, like, Margot Robbie and the rest of the cast just, like, having a grand old time and taking selfies together. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, like, the same fucking energy. Yeah. Did Axl Rose ever send, um, like, fucking rats to his bandmates? No. Shocking. Um, anyway, so, so we see that, um, and there's this interesting kind of identity discussion that, I mean, I feel like has been kind of skirting around with Jimmy and... Oh god, I forgot fucking Buckethead. Yes. All I remember is the man wearing the KFC bucket. I would really want to see Buckethead and Slash get into, like, a guitar off and or fist fight. As a kid, I definitely thought they were the same person. Yeah. <laughs> Confession. Um, but we see this this division of Jimmy's identity, right? We have him going, well, I don't need to be in the band anymore because I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to basically turn back on my ability to be an athlete. Okay, I- I'm sorry. I'm going to stop. Okay. Like... Deep diving on Guns N' Roses and Velvet Revolver. Buckethead performed with Viggo Mortensen. Okay. (laughs) What? I guess Viggo Mortensen had a band at some point. Wait, I think I knew this. You want to know why I I know, like, weird Viggo Mortensen trivia? Because my grandmother, God rest her soul, had the biggest fucking crush on Viggo Mortensen and would watch every talk show that he was on. So I ended up knowing so many weird things. She'd be like, hey, hey, Donnie, guess what? Here's this Viggo Mortensen fact. And I was just like, this fucking rocks. Thank you, Grandma. It was good. I mean, I like I didn't care for what um, oh, that movie he was in. Oh, he was in Green Book, wasn't he? Yeah, like, I didn't care for, like, that movie's messaging, but he did remind me a lot of my dad in that movie, so Mm. there was a special place in my heart for it. I can't speak to Viggo Mortensen as a person. My only real, uh, 
basis of him at all is my grandmother's perception from talk show circuits during the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I could not tell you either way what what kind of person he is. So there is a lot of nostalgia lens going on when I think about that. But I do think about how I know arbitrary information about him solely because of my grandmother. Did your grandma like watch the Lord of the Rings movies like nonstop? She was pretty into them, but honestly, she just thought he was hot. And like it was really kind of like like I don't know, for whatever reason, even when I was 12, I was like it's kind of cool that my 81-year-old grandmother is not afraid to say that people are hot. Yeah. Like, good for her. I I just think it would be funnier if like she liked him but never watched that movie. I don't really think she... I think she might have seen them once or twice. I don't think she watched them very much. I think she watched them because I had watched them. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those things where she was always up for, like, watching whatever I was watching. Yeah. But her her investment in him really didn't have to do with his his role in that those movies or his role in any movie, really. It was that she found him attractive, which... You know, thinking about what he looked like during that era, it kind of made sense that a older woman would be like, yes, yes, this is the hottest man I've ever laid eyes on. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, all right, getting back to this. Um, so Craig and Marco are just like, all right, whatever. Yeah, they're pretty ticked off. And then Hazel is kind of emphasizing, like, this welcome back. Like, you know, you, you like the old Jimmy's back, basically, what they're getting at. Yeah. Um, but, of, like, Marco and Craig just kind of exit the episode. Right, like, they're literally gone. They're done. They, they, you know, they got made, they did what they needed to to make the paycheck, and they're gone. Yeah. Um, okay, oh, God. Then we cut to JT, who, this, like, this kind of, like, boggles my mind, where he's just, like, he runs up to her and says, like, Liberty, hold up, you're starting to show. I'm like... No shit. Like, Can you I'm, send an email? <laughs> like, also, you know, I think she she knows that every time she looks in the fucking mirror. Right, like, you're not helping the situation at all. Um, and Liberty says, basically, like, people can believe what they want to believe. Um, and people basically are not going to see her as pregnant because they refuse to believe that the student council president could be pregnant. She also reveals that she's in her third trimester. Um, I, I mean, your third trimester. She says she's six months pregnant later on in the oh. episode. Technically, that is your third trimester. It's the beginning of it, but it is the yeah. third trimester. So I'm not going to, like, be calling bullshit or anything like that. Like, especially because it's very obvious that she was aware of what was going on, but she was also hiding it. So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll take it. Um, And Liberty tries to put the pressure on JT and is basically like, yeah, well, okay, like, you're running your mouth here. Have you actually done any research? To which he clumsily reveals, like, not really, no. He's kind of can't really concentrate. He doesn't really understand. Basically, he doesn't, you know when you don't know a subject enough and you cannot even research it because that's how little you know about it? Yeah. That's pretty much where JT is at, where he could not even tell you where to start. I mean... To be fair to JT, like, I, I don't want to give him too much slack, because Liberty is very much going through more than he is. Absolutely. Um, but, like, you know, he is a, like, what, 16-year-old, like, who's dealing with the fact that he's now a father. Yeah. Like, I don't want, I don't want to, like, 
come down on him like an adult. Like, when, if I was this kid, I'd be fucking scared too. Right. And the fact that, like, Liberty doesn't owe him anything, like, doesn't owe him any consideration in this, but it also must be hard for him where, like, she won't even talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. So... He he is certainly not having the most. He's not going through the most, but that still doesn't mean he's he's going through nothing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's he still has a lot to kind of make sense of, even if ultimately a lot of the physical process, the emotional process, is mostly on liberty. Yeah. Like, I think both those statements can be true in this context. Yeah, it's like in Juno where she's just like, "I'm the one who like." You know, like, we had sex, and I'm the one who's, like, having to suffer for it, essentially. Right. So, um, then, like, she walks away again, and then Danny, from off-screen, just whips a baby at her, at him. One of those fucking robo-babies, which, Frank, did you have the robo-babies? No. We didn't, I don't think our school bothered with it, like... I don't really remember sex education in my school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, what about you? I had the robo-baby. Um, so my school had you have the baby senior year, which I thought was too late. Even as a kid, I was like, that's a bit too late. Um, because... Uh, because word was on the street quite a bit about some kids before senior year. So to me, I was just kind of like, mm, it feels like this is something we could maybe have had, like, a year before at least. But um, the way that it would work regardless is during your health class, you would have the baby, which was exactly like that baby. Um, and you didn't have to have them for a week like in this assignment, but you did have to have them for, like, a full 24 hours. Hmm. Um, now the thing about this baby that they do not go into this episode, nor do they need to, um, is the fact that the freakiest fucking part about this baby is the way that it breeds and nothing prepares you for it. Cause you don't really hear it when you're going about your day, but you do hear it when you go to bed. And the problem with the way that it breathes is it's like, it's automated. You hear it, but it's, it breathes in a way that like, is just not how it like, is such a long breath. It's like longer than a normal, actual human's breath would be. Maybe it's normal for a baby. I haven't interacted with babies enough to confirm that. But you're sitting there in your bed. You are 17 years old. You're looking up at the ceiling and you can't fucking sleep because this baby is doing this weird breathing. And you also know at some point in the night, this baby's probably going to cry. And that is going to impact your grade. And it's just the weirdest anxiety. And like... There's a lot of rumors, I don't know how true this is because I've never actually had access to the programming for these babies, but allegedly, and honestly with teachers, I hate to say this, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is true, you could change the difficulty of the baby. So, like, a lot of kids assumed that they had rough babies because the teachers put in programming to get back at them, which... I don't know if it's true, because I have not looked into it myself, but I can't lie. I could totally see teachers doing that. Yeah. Related to that, my baby was super fucking easy. My ba- I got like a 95, and it was solely because once I was in between classes, and it was like really hard for me to find a space to like sit down and fumble with it. But like that was the only time that I ever had an issue. 
and my baby went off once during the night like i'm the one who kept myself up it wasn't the baby but some knuckleheads in my class talked about how like they got woken up like three four times and then you would have times where the baby was broken and the baby just kept crying and then they found out like a day later they were like yeah there was something wrong with the programming of the baby sorry about that and it's just like you just gave this kid like a fucking panic attack they thought they were gonna fail their fucking project because of this it was really fucking funny the thing is, like, I don't, like, these babies bother me because, like, this doesn't show you, like, what it is to actually have a child, you know? No, no, it's, I will say that I don't think it's the most accurate, I also feel like it's one of those things that is, it's a tough assignment to kind of make sense of because the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of teenagers, whether they're 18, whether they're 16, whether they're 12, may not necessarily be in a situation where they themselves are having a biological child, but it's very possible that they are taking care of a younger sibling or a cousin or whatever circumstances they may already be having experience taking care of kids. Okay, look, my thing is just like, what if instead of the babies we give children or give these teenagers choose-your-own-adventure novels? (laughs) Okay, things are getting hot and heavy in the back of this car. Do you A... Use a condom, B, practice abstinence, or C, use the pull-out method. Oh my god. If you've chosen C, you've turned to page 95. This one doesn't work! Jesus. I mean, <laughs> what I will say is, one, I think that it's not the best assignment in this fact that, like, some kids are already kind of going through these circumstances. But, also relating to it, I do think, at least from the demographic that I'm working off of, I think for some kids it wasn't a bad assignment in the sense that they had to kind of think of someone that wasn't themselves. Yeah. Which is a real challenge that I think some teenagers have. Not every teenager, but I do think a lot of teenagers, especially if they come from... Oh my gosh, Dahlia. Speaking of needing to think of someone outside of yourself, my baby keeps cooing at me. Um, Fine. (laughs) <laughs> but um Oops. Okay. <laughs> good girl um i do think that some kids do need an assignment like this to learn that like oh if you take care of a child you do kind of have to pause shit and actually like think about them and their needs and it's gonna be kind of a very frustrating kind of arbitrary game of like are you hungry i don't fucking know do you need your diaper change i don't fucking know do you need to sleep i don't fucking know and some people do not realize that until they have an assignment like this but It's also one of those ones that it really depends on the kid. For some kids, it's not going to make any fucking sense for them to do it. Yeah. That was my phone. Uh, No. All Um, right, let's just keep it going. Yep, let's keep going. So, So, Robo-Baby. Danny is just like, I'm taking this because it's a... A bird class. What the fuck does that mean? I assume it means it's for the birds. I guess. I mean, if they were in England. <laughs> like, trying to think while grabbing phone. If, if they were in England, I would assume, like, they meant, like, a girl course. But, and then he's like, it has all the fly mammies in it. And I'm just like, Derek, shut up. <laughs> oh, Danny, shut up. Derek, you can shut up, too. <laughs> um, and JT's just like, I have so many more problems than you right now. <laughs> Yep. Um, so yeah, let's cut from that stupid, um, that stupid scene to a much better scene. 
of Ellie coming in on Jimmy drawing at lunch. Yes. This is my favorite part of this episode. I love this part. It's just Ellie and Jimmy just being Euchre friend bros. Right. It's, like, really nice to kind of see parts of the Euchre club just kind of hanging out and being friends. And and the thing about Ellie is what's really nice about seeing this is, like, we haven't really seen this kind of creative side from Jimmy. We know that he does music and things like that. But we haven't really seen him do art. But what's also really nice about watching Ellie interact with him is how much she just kind of validates it and says, like, hey, like, this is actually really fucking good. Um, and it's really nice to see these characters be able to connect and be able to make a deeper connection. And it kind of opens up this big identity question that Jimmy is clearly struggling with throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, what are you now? You've gone through a trauma. You know, things are different. How have you changed your life? And what we actually see is that he's gone and invested in art. And he's also turned it into a mindfulness exercise, basically. What I also like about this is this is like one of the few times we get... I, this might be the only time we get a male-female relationship with absolutely no romantic overtones to it. I mean, I don't know if I would say it's 100% not romantic, but you do see... I, I, like, the thing, I didn't catch feelings from the two of them. Yes. Like, it just, for me, felt like they were just being bros. Yeah, it's like, I never trust when a male character and a female character are in the same scene together because of straight people writing these shows. But I think that it was probably one of your more pure, for lack of better terms, interactions between the two, because it was just genuine excitement, genuine intrigue. Um, And it was interesting also seeing the depth of the art that Jimmy was working on. And as he's talking about it, I mean, he's mentioning some of the things, like how he's excited that, in this piece I thought was really interesting, how he is potentially going to design his own chair once he hopefully makes the Paralympic team. Um, and I thought that there was something very nice about this idea of him being able to create and being able to create a connection with his mobility aid. And that seems to be a piece of, like, we've seen him have such resentment toward his chair and have such resentment toward the fact that he has it, when in actuality, in a lot of disability, um, activism, there is a push to say, like, no, like, mobility aids help me. I mm-hmm. don't resent it because it helps me get to where I need to be, and if I didn't have it, I would be in bed. And while I don't expect, and I know this plot will never be a radical look at disability, it is nice to have these brief moments where Jimmy is like, no, I'm going to make this into something I really like. I'm going to put my spin on it. And once again, we see how positive art has been for him. Because not only is he talking about that, but we also see him kind of depict some of his own traumas. We do see a sketch of Rick. We do see some of his, like, kind of, like, almost like vent pieces about the shooting and what has happened to him. Um, And he specifically says that, you know this is my way to relax. Mm -hmm. Like, this is my way to kind of feel at ease. 
And I think that there's something truly wonderful about hearing that because music for Jimmy has always been there, but it's kind of one of those, like, I'm hanging out with my friends. My friends want to start a band. I guess I'll join the band too. Yeah. Sports was that thing for him, but as we know, he now has to, you know, now that is a very strained relationship due to his disability. Um, and here we see something that he's just been able to foster an interest in on his own. He talks about how it was something he did when he was hospitalized and he just kind of kept going with it. Um, and there is something really lovely about the whole entire scene and the fact that Ellie is just fully in support of it. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, when we go to Jimmy's place, he's trying to practice basketball. Um, he misses a basket and it basically triggers a flashback of sorts, kind of, of some sort of like, almost like a, it's a bit of a flashback, kind of more like a panic attack type of situation, um, where he's flashing to some of his illustrations. He's hearing his dad talk about how he has to succeed. Um, and as this is all happening, his dad pulls up and asks us if, he, if he's okay. And Jimmy says, like, you know, I'm losing focus. And his dad suggests that it's the stress. Um, and his dad, his dad's trying. Yeah. We can, we can debate how effective, but I think ultimately his dad is, while he is obviously not, and we've talked about this a lot, like, Jimmy is the person who ultimately is kind of the epicenter of this trauma, right? He's the one who was seriously injured by Rick. And now is disabled due to the events. Yeah. His pain is certainly something that he has that can take up pretty much as much space as it needs to in the pro in in the means of him processing it. Jimmy's father obviously cannot carry it the same way, and that is a bit of an issue in this episode and him learning to let that go. But he also has some stuff he has to work through and we can see him trying to and we can see him trying to take some form of lead the way that he talks to jimmy you kind of get the feeling that he did go to some sort of counseling because he's talking to jimmy and he's saying like are you worried about me letting you down like are you worried about yourself letting me down are you worried about like kind of like giving him some guiding questions of sorts um but obviously it's a bit way too much for jimmy and it really is not making jimmy feel comfortable about this whole entire situation they're trying to play the same song but they're on different radio frequencies exactly exactly it's like they're not i think that's exactly it. like they're not horrendously off page but they're still not on it yeah and it's a struggle that you can see the two of them going through and i think it's also like it's just mr burks has the problem of this didn't happen to him right like he's like he can like you know like <laughs> you know, you and I have both been through some shit in our younger lives, but mm -hmm. like we can and we can relate on like this thing happened to me, this thing happened to me. But I'll never know exactly what you went through, and you never know exactly what I went through. Precisely. And, like we just accept that and we move on, right? And we help each other with what we went through, right? So, all right, back to back to this. <laughs> like honestly, like so little happens in this uh, in the Liberty plot, like. That I'm just kind of like, I feel like every time we go back to it, it's like, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Right. Well, it's like... It, but what, like what, where, the arc of this episode is Danny doesn't know, Danny knows Danny's being an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Danny doesn't change by the end of this episode. No. But also, I'm not going to come down as hard on this because I know for a fact that this is a plot that carries through for a very, very long time. Okay. So, I'm kind of whatever. I feel like... 
and maybe we could talk about this later on i feel like what it's trying to do is kind of this weird juxtaposition where they want jt to kind of go through shenanigans he probably would have gone through with toby but there is a deeper gravity to the situation that he now has to confront yeah and i think that's kind of what they're trying to get at with this episode whether or not they succeed at it we could talk later but that's kind of the read that i get is like they're trying to get the beats of like those season one type of episodes or kind of like some of those classic hijinks that jt has been a part of but it is unable to change the reality of the situation yeah in the case of this we have um the bathroom of the um, Van Zant residence. And Danny is slamming his robo-baby against the door and yelling at Liberty. Um, and this is where a pretty disgusting eating disorder-related thing happens because he does the whole, like, hey, you are blowing chunks every fucking morning. Hmm, I wonder why. And then makes a terrible comment about how she is clearly bulimic and it is not working. And it also feels like such, like, a time capsule in the sense that, like, I feel like a lot of eating disorder-related discussions were this very tasteless kind of way. Like, I feel like we talked a bit before about, like, how in this era there was a lot of use of the R word in a lot of shows during this era. And I also feel like a lot of the discussion of eating disorders and self-harm were very, very insensitive. And I think that while this show has done a pretty decent job with self-harm and has pretty been pretty consistent in terms of self-harm, it has fallen into a lot of trappings with eating disorders, especially within the past, this season. I feel like we have really kind of regressed quite a bit in terms of how the writers have been handling eating disorders. Yeah. So, yeah, moving on. Yep. Once again, back to the cute... Um, <laughs> Ellie, uh, invites Jimmy to a, uh, gallery where they're putting, they're showing, they're showing horror comic art of the 1950s. It honestly sounds like a fun exhibit. Yeah, because that was, like, I think before the comic code got put in place. I think you're right. And, like, they just go bug wild. Yep. Um, and like he's like, oh, I can't go. I have pre- I have to go to my like tryout thing, and she's like, oh, fine, I understand. Um. And then finally, Jimmy's like, you know what? I'd rather go to this place. So, um, and like then Ellie gives a very cute thumbs up. Yeah, it's really sweet. Um, because it's also just nice to see Ellie being happy for once. Right. Like that's the thing. It's like it's. It's, she, she has interpersonally been through quite a bit, um, and it's nice to see her be able to make a connection. It's also just, like, that piece of making a connection where it feels like she's kind of had to, like, form herself to make a connection with Craig to a certain extent. Like, yeah, okay, like, she likes playing the drums, but it feels like her being invested in art, invested in comics, and invested in, like, that ty- like that type of stuff feels more like something that has grown organically within her, and now she's able to share it with somebody. Because even if you remember back when, early, 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 she's making a connection with Marco and everything, it comes back to, like, Edward Gorey books and things like that. Like, this feels like a very very naturally Ellie thing. And the fact that now she has this to be able to share with Jimmy, it, it's very sweet. It's really nice. Yeah. 
so we end up at what I guess is the front of the school because there's a bunch of people with plastic babies. Um, and Liberty is marching past them and JT approaches her. Um, and JT is kind of doing the very... I understand where he is coming from, but he is not handling it appropriately at all. And um, is making a lot of really potentially dangerously loud comments concerning Liberty and her pregnancy. Um, and she, and he is making them loud enough that Danny fucking hears and then just beats him the fuck up. Well, Danny also has this, like, fucking Sherlock putting together the clues moment where he's just like, wait a minute, pregnant girl on the front of my health book, which, what the fuck? You're right. Liberty has a, has a belly. Oh my god, Liberty's pregnant. And he attacks JT for making his sister pregnant. Yes, he, like, shoves his face literally in the dirt. I never, like, like, I know it's the brother's job of, like, when a boyfriend, like, shows up, I'm supposed to, like, get all tough and, like, be like, oh, well, you hurt my sister, like, I'm coming for you. Um, but, like, the thing is with my sister is, if, like, you got to know Susie, and then you, like, fucked up and weren't over, basically allowed to be around Susie anymore, that was punishment enough. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, my sister's, like, a joy to be around. Um, the physicality piece is always very interesting to me, because I guess, like, it's one of those things where you never truly... I feel like it's one of those things where I can't even say people would inherently do it or not, because that really does seem like something that you will never quite know how you're going to react until the moment happens. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're a teacher and a fight breaks out and like you're like, am I going to run away with all the students? Am I going to get in the middle of it? Am I going to call the principal? Like you literally don't know until a fight breaks out. And the answer for me is for whatever reason, I tried to get in the middle of it. Why? I don't know. I'm five feet tall. I can't do anything. And yet I hear a fight breaks out. And I'm like, oh, and I zoom over. Dumb. You don't sh- know why. You should find the like you should find one of the teachers that's much taller and stronger than you. And then just have them fastball special you into the middle of the fight. You're right. Just like, zoom. <laughs> just like, pick, throw me. <laughs> but like, moments like that in your life, that is like a very specific example. But I do think like it's one of those things where <laughs> moments in your life you will never truly know how you're going to react. And I feel like in TV, they go to the physical. But there's a part of me that feels mm. like if I had fa- if I, like, I feel like we don't see enough of the person just fucking screaming at the top of their fucking lungs. And then, like, that's it. Like, getting in their face, but never throwing a punch, and just, like, screaming. <laughs> just, like, like Danny just runs up to JT and just open mouth screams at it. <laughs> ah! See, I was imagining him, like, starting words, but, like, after a while, it just becomes nothing. He's just yelling. Uh, but, like, before we move on, um, Danny asks, like, oh, like, do, do mom and dad know? And Vulcan's right. like, please don't tell. But, like... It's just like that Tumblr post where it's just like there comes a point in your life where you, you something happens and you look around for an adult and then you realize, oh, fuck, I'm the adult in this situation. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, it's just like, also what I was trying to figure out was, like, they were clearly next to Danny's class. How the fuck? Like, I understand that Liberty is kind of trying to suggest, she just suggests this multiple times in this episode, like... Hey, 
I, you know, people don't want to believe that I'm pregnant because of my status in the school. And I do think that's true to a certain extent. And I do think that there would probably be a sizable amount of students that are like, and teachers who would be like, no, that's not true. No way Liberty is. But I also feel like there were enough witnesses that they'd be like, yo, did you see JT and Danny throw down? Did you hear about why? But this is also the second time they've thrown down. Right. Like, but... (laughs) I also feel like a lot of people would react the same way J.K. Simmons does in Juno when he finds out that Michael Sarah is the father. I was like, huh, didn't think he had it. <laughs> right, but like, regardless, it would be a conversation. But like, fine, whatever. They fight, they beg that the parents don't find out. Um, okay, meanwhile, back at the interesting part of the plot. Right. Jimmy is super pumped on the art. Yes, so it's like a very... There's, like, it's a very sparse-looking exhibit. You kind of see a panel as they're kind of leaving the main part of the exhibit. Um, It's very quiet. There's not very many people in it. Um, And he loves it because of the quiet. Um, They walk in on modern art. He talks about how he doesn't really understand how it works because he's literally staring at a box. And Ellie notes that, like, you know, they have art classes here. So if you're interested, like, this might be... If you, like, you've already shown that you like art... Why don't you take some classes? Why don't you, like, push yourself more with it? Um, And Jimmy is like, yeah, but, like, you know, I don't really draw to, like, become an artist. Like, I draw basically to just unwind. Um, And Ellie is like, no, you are an artist. And, you know, Jimmy has a lot of difficulty trying to process that as a potential title for him. Um, yeah, I also like that the employee knows Ellie by name. <laughs> yes. That was, that felt very right. Like, it's kind of funny. It made me think of, like, some kids who live in my area who have, like, there's, like, a museum that's relatively close and free. And they kind of know a lot of the kids. They know some of the kids because they, like, would go there and then they eventually work there. And then it's, like, kind of like that, like, during the summer camps and you kind of had that type of rapport. And it kind of made me think of that. Um, which is really sweet, but Jimmy realizes that it's not that it's almost five o'clock, it's that it's five after six, and that he is now late to his tryout. So they make their way over toward the gym, um, Jimmy's dad is already there, um, he basically begs the coach to give him a shot, and the coach says that, you know, fine, I guess, we'll look, we'll take a look at you tomorrow, and his dad is notably disappointed in Jimmy for missing it um so we end up at jimmy's again jimmy is practicing and his dad shows him his that the new surprise which is a chair that he got um and jimmy's initial reaction is hurt because as we know from earlier in the episode he was supposed to be designing his chair and now he's had that taken away from him um his father also reveals that this is the type of chair that the people in on the Paralympic team use. So not only is he losing the chance to be creative, but he's also getting very much pigeonholed into this Paralympic type of situation. Yeah. Um, and his dad is just like, you know, look at this as incentive. This is me, like, you know, trying to make sure that you take this seriously, but also that the people that you're trying out with take you seriously because they see your dedication through your chair. Um, which... I do not even want to begin to think about how expensive that chair is. Yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, 
Back at the ranch. All right. We're at the front of the school. Danny's kind of curled up on, like, the... One of the... Uh, I forget what those are called. Those concrete... It's like a railing, but it's not quite a railing. The base of the railing. He's just kind of curled up there. Um, And JT and Liberty approach him, and they reiterate that he needs to keep this a secret um, and concerning the pregnancy, and he's basically like, hmm, here's my robo-baby I got for a week. Guess what? You're getting me an A because I'm going to blackmail you, which is like the most ninth grade thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. We knew it was gonna go that path. Yeah, but I just—I wish it was gonna go down a different path. Yeah. Well, what kind of path were you thinking? Just like it would have been nice if Danny was just like not such a shit, like. It would have been nice if we could have one guy who's like, I'm not going to try and turn this situation in my favor. If he was just like, you know what, like, you're my, I thought long hard about this, you're my sister, I'm with you till the end. No matter what comes with mom and dad, like, you, I have your back. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's true. But this is the grassy baby. Yeah. We're not doing sentimentality like that. Yeah. Um, so we end up back outside the school. Jimmy is stressing out about the fit of the chair, and Ellie is approaching him to apologize. Um, and then she also adds, like, hey, like, I'm actually going back to the museum today. I'm signing up for life drawing classes. You don't have to come, but I will, you know, if you want me to, I'll sign you up. Um, and Jimmy is just kind of like, no, like, turns her down and is trying to focus back on basketball. Um, Derek, who he's been practicing with, makes some sort of, you know, boy comment of, you know, if he can pursue Ellie, basically. Um, and at some point in this conversation, Jimmy pulls his wrist in some way. And he is in pain. Yeah. Um... Can we go to the life class? Which, by the way, like, JT talks about how he's cutting class, but, like, he's clearly in that class, and I feel like if there was any teacher actually running this class, which, by the way, we have not seen this entire episode, I feel like JT would get kicked out. Yep. (laughs) But, whatever. So, Danny is just kind of like, you gotta fucking figure out how to make the baby stop crying. I don't know how to fucking tell you this. You better figure it out, dumbass. You gotta birth the baby. Yup. Which is the weirdest fucking shit with this type of technology. I'm just, like, so tired of this vlog. I felt like it was okay, but I'm just like, I don't care. I'm just so interested in Jimmy and Ellie's journey in this episode. Yeah, I found them very captivating in this story. It, It was, like, I was genuinely interested and invested in what their dynamic was looking like. Um, meanwhile at the nurses, Jimmy gets his hand wrapped up in some ace bandage, he kisses Hazel, and Hazel reveals that his dad told her about what happened at the tryout, and that he came in late with Ellie, um, and she is really hurt, and I actually really appreciate how transparent Hazel is in this moment, and I feel like it kind of speaks to Hazel and how, while, like, she, she never really gets a chance to really broadcast this as much as i would like her to i really really appreciate how she tends to be pretty fucking clear where she stands on things yeah she's really 
she is very, very honest, especially in this, which is not an easy task at any age, where she says, like, I don't want to hear that you found comfort with Ellie. Like, I want you to tell me what's going on and then let me be able to comfort you. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate it in the sense that she's like, no, like, this is what, like, you know, I'm upset. But the reason why I'm upset is not, like, the... I mean, there is a piece of jealousy there, but it's not... It doesn't jump to the really, like, catty kind of archetype. It, it jumps to the... I'm here for you, and I want you to actually believe me when I say that. Yeah. And I I like that. And I I feel like that's a way to cover jealousy in a way that is different. And it's a way to cover jealousy in a way that honestly is way more real than some hair pulling and throwing someone into a locker. I mean, uh, there's this episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine called The Wednesday Incident. Mm Mm-hmm. Where, um... Uh, what we call it? Like the captain, Captain Holt, or Captain Holt, has hurt his arm. Like he's in a super bad mood, mm-hmm. and like the detectives try and figure out because Jake's like, it can't possibly just be me. Like, and they eventually find out that like he was like, um, he was mugged. And like he fought all three of the his three of his attackers, one of them got away, and in his own words, he was lightly stabbed. And his husband is just like, "Wait a minute, you were stabbed?" <laughs> and like he's like, "I didn't want to scare you." And he's mm-hmm. like, "I I'm your husband. I love you. And like, I want you to tell me everything, even if you think it might be things that'll scare me." Yeah, yeah, it's like a very similar sentiment. Yeah, where I really, I think that. Hazel, similar to how Jimmy's dad is Jimmy's dad, the epicenter of the pain, no, but he has a lot he has to process. Hazel also has quite a bit to process, and we have seen her pretty consistently handle this stuff in stride. Um, in the sense that she wants to support Jimmy. She doesn't know how to all the time, but I don't think you can really question her wanting to. And, like, she's also, like, much like how Jimmy's questioning things, I'm sure she's also questioning, like, is this gonna last? Like, yeah, I don't think inherently, like, you know, him getting shot is gonna end their relationship, but it is gonna change things. Exactly. And, like, you know, Hazel, you know, loves Jimmy and wants to stay with him, but, like, she has to wonder, is there a place for her in his life now? Right, right. There is this feeling of things are different, and to her, the tryout is her chance at normalcy again. And, yeah, that's a selfish want. It's not really... It's it's a very kind of... It's a complicated place to be because she wants to support Jimmy. But there is this part of her that craves the normalcy, for lack of better terms, that her life was before the shooting. She sees him being in a Paralympic team as the chance at it. So, yeah, she's going to side with, her, with his dad in this situation. Not just because she thinks it's weird and suspicious that he's with Ellie, but also because, like, if he screws himself out of this... It's, you know, he screws himself out of the chance of being the athlete again. Which, by the way, he is aiming so fucking high. And, like, his, you know, his, you know, Hazel and his father are having him shoot for the fucking Paralympics. Like. Okay, now, I I don't think it's exactly like she wants. I don't think it's so much about being the athlete. 
I think no, but I what, think the athlete what, and what comes with the athlete is. Hey, what I'm thinking is is just like I think Hazel has been looking for. Okay, so it's just kind of like when you know something happens with your partner, and like you're just like you do your best to them and whatnot, or like your friend. And then after that, you're just kind of like, you're on such shaky ground that like even a semblance of something that's out of the ordinary like this for her, is going to cause like, like you're just wondering like, is this now the moment? Is this the moment where I'm cast out? Like, and I feel like that's what she's more going through. I would agree with that if it wasn't for her welcome back comment at the beginning of the episode. But that's, I do think that read is also like not a wrong read either. Yeah. But regardless, she's dealing with a lot of shit. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, it's not the same as Jimmy's, but it's still quite a bit. And it's certainly a lot to kind of dump on a 17-year-old, even if, you know, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to kind of have in your lap when you're 17. Yeah. All right, so Jimmy heads for... Um... Jimmy heads to the gym for tryouts. They have, uh, like, but this is kind of where, um, they finally kind of talk. Yeah. And Jimmy points out, like, you keep trying to bring me back, but I'm changed, and, like, things are different now. Yeah, and it's, this whole entire idea, and the dad even says, like, you know, he wants Jimmy to be, like, himself again. And Jimmy's just like, that's not happening. It's it's not. Sorry, like, you, you want this version of myself to happen, but the fact of the matter is, is that a trauma took place, and things changed, and we're not going to be able to go back to that. And I think that that's a piece of any trauma narrative that is a very difficult thing for a lot of people who haven't gone through it to understand where... And it's sometimes difficult for people in certain... And I think this speaks to where he's at in his journey in terms of processing all of this. Because we have seen him be very discouraged and aggressively trying to get back to where he was, whatever that means. And aggressively trying to get back to the version of himself that he, you know, that he knew. And now we're seeing him go, no, things are different and that's just the way it's gonna be. Things are not the way that they were. And things are never going to be the way that they were. And that's, there's a way to look at that in a really pessimistic way. But I think it's kind of very telling, especially because we've seen him have this, such this positive development with art and everything, that it's not the end of the world. His life is going to keep going, it's just going to be different. And it's more of a matter of him, now that he's easing himself up to this idea, now his dad has to refit his expectations. Yeah. Alright, so we get to, after that, we get finally to the most interesting part of this other plot, (laughs) where Jimmy, excuse me, Danny and JT are arguing over the best way to take care of the baby. They're They're fucking yanking it like children. Yeah, and then it flies out of their hands, into traffic, and then gets run over. Yep. Sure does. It, it's, you know, that classic comical type of bullshit. Yeah. Like, like I said, it reminds me a lot of shenanigans that you would have seen probably in, like, season one with JT. Yeah. 
Um, and I think it's trying to invoke that to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, it hits a windshield and gets ran over by a car. Uh, yeah. Um, so we go back to the tryout and Jimmy is watching people play and the coach passes the ball to him and Jimmy just kind of like, you know what? This isn't fucking for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The coach is mad because he's like, you know, did I just fucking waste my time? And Jimmy's just like, yeah, but it's cool. Um, and the coach is annoyed, his dad is annoyed, and Jimmy reiterates that, like, you know, this is my life, this is what I want to do, and you and me, dad, need to have, like, a pretty lengthy conversation, and I actually really like this, this feels like the modeling that you would want Degrassi to do, where I don't think in a realistic situation, a kid is always going to say, no, we need to have a conversation about this, but you do also kind of hope that maybe just maybe... A kid, maybe not in the same exact situation, saw the character go, hey, dad, let's actually talk about this. And maybe it's stuck in some way. Yeah. It, it's, it once again finds that balance between the drama, because there is this drama, right? The coach is mad. The dad is mad. Um, he's going against the dreams that it sounded like he might have wanted. Um, but it also gives that little piece of it that you do want to see in a show like this that prides itself on trying to educate teenagers, um, which is like, you know, sometimes you do have to have a conversation with your parents and you can't just hide all this information. Sometimes you may have to have an uncomfortable, uh, you know, exchange, but it is sometimes the only way you're ever going to get on the same page. Yeah. Um, so we go back to school with the other plot. This is where Danny reveals his stupid master plan of like, oh, I blackmail James for taking care of my baby because you're going to have a baby and you need to learn this shit. And I'm just like, yeah, this, yeah. This is so stupid. Do we actually believe him? No. I don't I, believe, I him, for don't believe him. I don't believe him. For but second. I do like where it turns around on Liberty, where Liberty's like, I'm student council president. I need to take care. I can take care of myself. And JT and Danny are like, that's fucking dumb. And you need to go to a doctor if you're six months pregnant. Yes. And, like, they finally agree to go to Mrs. Sauvé about this. Yes. And I think that is, like, once again, kind of a good... Once again, it's, like, kind of like a, hey, if you don't fucking know what to do... Find an adult who does. Right. And there's two examples of it. There's talking to your father in the A plot. In the B plot, it's talking to, like, you know, someone who is really important in the guidance department. Um, and... Yeah, so I'm glad that while there are a lot of shenanigans, I do, I'm glad that we're getting somewhere in that plot because Liberty going six months through this without any professional help whatsoever, whether it's a psychologist, whether it's a doctor, whether it's anything like that, is so alienating, even with JT being fairly supportive at times when he knew, and Danny being concerned. Yeah. It's, it's nice to see that the kids are kind of going like, oh, perhaps we can't do this all by ourselves. Yeah. Okay. And we finally end it with Hazel and Jimmy talking. Um, Jimmy didn't call her back. And she just wanted to know if he made the team. Yep. And he just, you know, says, kind of reiterates, I'm not going to try out again. Like, things are different. But Hazel's like, I want to stick with you. And can you try and explain it to me? Yeah. And he gets a little moral support from, silent moral support from Ellie, and he get, they get into it. Yeah. And I'm really glad this is how the episode ends, and not with them, like, breaking up. 
Yeah, I I think that there is something really lovely about Hazel wanting to know. I I feel like it's always really dicey when you have a character being like, "Well, tell me," because um, sometimes that execution can get very like please tell me about everything about you so that we can so i don't have to really do any work about it but i think in this case it was another example of yeah there needs to be a conversation maybe you're not going to 100 now but let's try and open up discussion about it yeah. there's something that like it's something that needed to happen um and i appreciate that the plot is exploring it and trying to confront it yeah Alright, I'm gonna give this a solid B. Yeah, it's a solid episode. Yeah. It's it's not like amazing. <laughs> yeah. But it covers ground pretty effectively. I think the A plot is probably the strongest Jimmy plot post shooting in terms of them trying to do something with the fact that they have a disabled character. I think that it's not perfect. I but I also understand at this point, like the writers are not going to be perfect at this, but I do think that there are pieces of it that are worthwhile. I think that there's an interesting look at how, like, trauma changes you, and it changes, like, who you are, and it forces you to have to confront aspects of your identity from before that trauma and how that doesn't always fit anymore. And I think that's a worthwhile thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, character rankings? First, let's do, because we always forget, who was allowed to say fuck this episode? Liberty. Yeah, I feel like anytime there's a Liberty plot with this, Liberty always has the right to say fuck. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like, the last two episodes, we forgot to do it, but yeah, it's Liberty gets to say fuck. Yep, Liberty always gets to say fuck. Um, character rankings. Uh, every, honestly, like, I know this is gonna sound like a cop-out, everybody's just going up. Yeah, everyone ended up in a better place. Yeah, because, like, everybody was trying. Like, everybody was doing their best. You know what I like about this episode? It's an incredibly sincere episode. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of teen drama, Degrassi included, fails sometimes to create sincerity. And I think it doesn't see... I think a lot of writers don't see the value in it. Yeah. I think that they don't think that that's good storytelling. But I think it is. The thing, like, And the thing is, like, I forget what grade we, we think Danny is in. I think he's a freshman. Yeah. I th- you know what? This, I, honestly, his plan of like i'm gonna use this baby to teach them how to take care of a baby for me i feel like that sounds like a freshman plan right it definitely sounds like i'm a baby and i don't know what to do yeah but i want to help yeah um all right shall we go to recommendations sure so this is where we recommend things that are directly related or tangentially related or things like that um guess what i'm watching scripted television again (gasps) i know it's taken a lot of months um, as we know. But, um, I've decided to start, uh, catching up on Good Trouble, which, if you do not know, is a spinoff of, um, The Fosters. If you know The Fosters, you probably are not surprised by some of the things that, with Good Trouble, um, it's a very heavy-handed type of show, but it is trying to talk about marginalized voices and things like that. Um, I've actually been screaming about every single episode to friend of the show, Demi. I've been, like, DMing her <laughs> every time. I'm like, oh my god. And, like, because I was like, I have somebody to talk to. Demi. Demi. <laughs> um, I think that the show is very heavy-handed. I think that it tries to educate quite a bit. That said, I do think that it has some pretty okay moments. Um, 
one of which is actually a very nice little moment where they have a character who is non-binary um, and is exploring they their pronouns and actually was seen like making out with their partner with a binder on and talking about how like they're like yeah it's pretty cool like i feel good wearing a binder and there's little moments like that where you're like oh okay like there is something pretty positive about what's happening yeah is it perfect no um will you be banging your head against the wall because everybody is like not just telling the truth to each other yes However, it is also an ABC, uh, is it ABC Family? Freeform! Freeform now. It's a freeform show, so you kind of know what you're getting into. So, check it out if you feel like it. Talk to Demi and me if you are interested. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, um, I'd rather have good natured and trying than, like, not trying at all. Right, like, I, I do not feel that these are malicious writers, so I'm going to recommend it. Yeah, and, like, I, so, actually... I haven't watched it, so I'm not going to fully recommend it, but there's, like, that show Lone Star 911, or 911 Lone Star. Yes. Which has a Muslim character on it, and a trans character on it, and a gay character on it. And, like, the, I think it's pretty cool that the trans character is actually played by a trans man. Now, my question, that's amazing. Now, my question is, because I did not look it up myself, because you told me, you told me about the show. Do you know if it's a spinoff of 911? Yes. Okay, so I might actually check it out, because I... Kind of have a soft spot for nine one one. Okay. I do you like Rob Lowe. I don't have any opinion on Rob Lowe. I'm just saying that I enjoy nine one one. Okay. Yeah, like um, because like the one scene I watched, there's this woman who's calling the fire department on her uh, Hispanic neighbors because they had a party. You know, it's like yeah, you know, just rip from the headlines type stuff. And like. They're like, well, we're going to arrest you because you can't make fraudulent 911 calls. And she starts pretending to have a heart attack. Like, okay, well, now we have to give you CPR. And, like, each person, and, like, she, like, points at the Muslim and was like, not her. And it's like, okay. And then this guy's like, I'm not, like, the one white guy's like, I'm not certified, so I can't do it. And she's like, him. And he's like, I'm gay. Is that okay? (laughs) And she's like, uh, no, him. He's like, all right, I'm trans. Is that okay? She's like, just take me to jail. Oh, my God. Um, I do like 911. I like procedurals. I find them weirdly comforting. I was very into House when I was a wee one. So. I was very much into Law and Order when I was a child. Well, there's something about, like, oh no, what's happening? Oh, we still got 30 minutes left in the episode. Oh, we know that this is not the answer. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you find something weirdly comforting in the chaos of a procedural. So, why not? Give it a shot. Life is short. If you don't like it. Just try and watch something else. There, like when I was in like sixth and seventh grade, it'd be like I'd watch like six episodes of Law and Order a day. This is during the summer, like six mm-hmm. episodes of Law and Order of the day, and then like five episodes of Mash. Like, oh, that's good. See, I watched an obscene amount of Criminal Minds, and I remember one day discovering the concept of polyamory by me riding my bike, thinking about Criminal Minds, muttering to myself, "I really like Morgan and Reed and Garcia." Hmm. It'd be kind of cool if they all kissed. And me being like, if they all knew about it, it wouldn't be cheating. And me just like senior year of high school riding my bike going, hmm, I should probably unpack this at some point. <laughs> I hope this doesn't awaken anything in this. That was literally what was happening. Guess what it did. But... <laughs> uh, what is the other thing? Um, <laughs> what if we solved crime... What if we were solving crimes and kissed? <laughs> what if we were solving crimes and kissed? 
Um, JK, unless? Uh, I'm going to recommend the Batman Beyond episode where Batman has, like, the an egg baby he has to take care of. Fuck! And, oh my god! And, like, at one point, he's just, like, it says to, like, old-ass Bruce Wayne, he's like, can I just leave this with you? And he just goes, no! There's definitely a Hey Arnold episode that was... Oh my god, and Like, this is, like, a trope. I know, it's a good... I think it's, a, it, it's a pretty... It can be a good trope. Like, but, like, this is, it's also, like, one of my favorite because it's so fucking funny, because, like... You know, he's driving along, and, like, the baby starts crying, he's, like, it, and, like, the the whole thing is, like, Bruce Wayne is, like, on his comm link or whatever, and mm-hmm. he's, like, Terry, do you have a baby in the car with you? He's, like, uh, no. He's, like, Terry, do we have to have a talk about something? I have to revisit this show. This feels like a show that I definitely would not, like, it's one of those shows that I don't think I appreciated as much when I was younger, because I think, like, I did not get it as much as I probably would now. We should do that. Fourteens, we have to deal with too much. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, but, yeah, that would be good. Um, that'd be good. Some good teens that have to deal with too much. Teens in peril. But uh, like he's just like, like, I need that. He's like, I need this grade. You know, I'll have to repeat family studies. Do you know how hard it? Like, do you know how, how terrible it is to take family studies? And like Bruce Wayne just turns to his dog. He's like, How do you fail family studies? <laughs> <laughs> I just also love just Bruce Wayne giving him so much shade. The guy with like twelve fucking doctorates and master's degrees and whatnot. What a good, what a good show. Oh, the, the DC animated universe is so fucking good from start to finish. God, it's truly a gift. Um, uh, thank you, Bruce Tim and uh, yeah. Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah. Because Dwayne, have I told you the story of how Dwayne McDuffie saved Batman Beyond? No. So, fucking like. They were just like, like uh, the WB or whatever was just like, look, we're not really kind of hitting the hitting our target demographic with Bat- the Adventures of Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you made Tendrick a little kid and, like, did all this other stuff, but, like, we need to just kind of hit that. What if you made Batman a teen and they're just like, oh, like, they're like, here, just work on it over the weekend and come back to us with something on Monday. And they're just like, oh, no, we don't want to do that. Like, we don't want to give up our current, like, you know, like, we don't want to give up our current, like, uh, continuity, and this is so stupid, and I hate this. But they kept calling each other. It's like, but what if we did this? Or what if we did this thing? What if we did this thing? But they'd be like, oh, no, this is stupid. I hate it. Like, I just want to do Batman and Robin, blah, blah, blah. And finally, Dwayne McDuffie, uh, creator of Static Shock, and just a fucking boatload of other... Uh, people of, like, comical characters of color. He just, like, he, he had been on vacation, and he came back, like, oh, do you hear what they want us to do? And he, he just immediately goes, yeah, that sounds great. Just make it, like, a young, like, make it into the future. Make him a prodigy of Bruce Wayne. It's like Spider-Man and Batman put together. And they're just like, oh, my God, that sounds so fucking cool. <laughs> it does. Like, when you put it out like that, it's, like, really fucking good. Yeah, uh, rest in peace, Wayne McDuffie. You were one of the best. No. And Static Shock is still so fucking rad. Yeah, that's another one I have to revisit. There's a lot of things that I just need to revisit. There's that whole Static Shock episode about racism, and then that Teen Titans episode about racism. God, there's like a lot of shows that I'm like realizing, like, huh, they really did try to address this. <laughs> and that whole Batman Beyond episode about sports drugs. Mm, mm-hmm. Oh God, I do remember that one. 
That one I do remember because it scared the shit out of me. Yeah, the whole, like they had these things like the slappers. I'm just like, oh god, this is like acid, but worse. <laughs> oh, I don't. Oh, I do remember that one. Yeah. Anyway, uh, before we just sit here and talk about Batman Beyond forever, which is what I could do. You um, made it through. Yeah. Uh, Donnie, if you want to get in contact with us, how can they do it? Wow, it's so weird when you're doing it. Um, so there's a couple ways you can get in touch with us. You can follow us on Twitter at I Hope Pod. You can join our Facebook group at I Hope We Can Make It Through Podcast. Um, feel free to message us, tweet us, do anything of that sort, and we can absolutely try and get back to you. I'm still trying to get back into my routine of that. Um, but hopefully with time, all that kind of will come together. Um, in terms of professional ways to contact us you can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com feel free to send any questions comments concerns on there another place that you can also that also is a place that you can ask about guest appearances frank and i have been playing very fast and loose with our recording schedule it's been kind of suiting where we're at right now which we are pretty okay with but if there are any episodes that are really speaking to you, if there's anything that's coming down the pipeline for season five that you really want to put your voice in, please let us know and we will gladly try and work around your schedule. Um, don't be intimidated or, or discouraged by the fact that we're just kind of like doing whatever. Um, we're gladly formalize some scheduling stuff to work with you. Um, if you want to support the show, there are two major ways that you can do that. Number one, you can, uh, donate to our coffee account. Any money that we make through our coffee account is going to go toward tech upgrades, as well as compensating the guests who do make appearances on the show. You can also support our show by providing reviews. We have created a bit of a review, uh benefits once we hit certain milestones we'll be able to give back to you in various ways some of it includes tiers such as going through the original degrassi series and right and reviewing some of those episodes also includes us doing some extra bonus episodes as well as potentially writing some fanfic because for whatever reason i went y'all write spinner and jay for a price and that price is reviews and I sure as shit don't know why I accepted it either, but this is what happens when we record at Saturday and I'm fully awake and I'm just very impulsive. I'll write Alex and Paige no matter what, for whatever price. You, you'll do that without any competition. I, re I realized in our Plotline Shuffle episode, I was like, fuck, I forgot to write this beach episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we have a lot of... We, we'd love to give back as a thank you for helping us out with the show. Um... If you want to keep in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. In terms of what's going on there, it's a lot of Fire Emblem meta and headcanons and shit like that. However, I am always down to talk about Degrassi or Good Trouble or anything really. I'm also going to promote my zine. It is called Cherished. Um, I have to actually say it like a human. It's called Cherished. It's a zine dedicated to um, the ship, which is Dimitri and Dudu or Dimidu. Um, in Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, we're opening up applications to run a charity zine. Um, so our goal is all the profits that we raise from the zine are going to be going to NAMI, which is a really good resource for mental illness. Um, it's a cause that myself and the other two mods are really passionate about. Um, and it's also a organization that I have used quite a bit in the process of my journey with my mental illness. Um, is this illnesses? Illnesses. Um, 
So if you are interested at all, whether you are passionate about the ship and want to do art or merch or writing, or if you just want to keep track of it, um, we have a Twitter account called Cherish Zine, where you can also see some of the application information and any updates regarding the zine's production. Um, so if you'd like to check that out, I would really appreciate it. Um, but obviously no pressure. Um, I barely use my Twitter, but it's dance, at DanceDanceFull. Um, I have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk. This week we covered um, To All the Boys I Loved Before Part 2, uh, which we enjoyed, but we had some issues with the ending. Mm. Um, I'm going to have my YouTube channels in the description. I'm going to have something up there pretty soon. Um, I also have uh, my Wattpad as the beginnings of a book that I'm going to be adding to pretty soon. And I think that's about it. So with that said, everybody, we hope you keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. Later. Bye. Bye.